Welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, how are we doing today? Hey, Adam, doing really well. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Good to be back in the studio with you. So we got something a little different today. Why don't you let yep. the audience know what we got in store? Yeah. So this was a episode that we did at our church leaders conference in 2018. Yep. And so just kind of interviewed Todd and asked him questions that he kind of had a contrarian take uh, on. So it was, the talk was called contrarian leadership. Yep. And this is the conversation that we had. Yeah. So why did you even want to do this, uh, this message or have this conversation with him? What was, what was going on behind the scenes? You said, I think this would be helpful for the CLC. Yeah. Well, one, just my own journey, just walking with Todd, a lot of times he would take a completely different take than uh, things I'd read, things I'd heard, you know, things I'd even practiced. And a lot of times I'd, you know, come back later and go, ah, that was genius. That was really smart. So that, I think there was some something about that uh, that I wanted uh, everyone in the audience to to kind of experience, then think through their own leadership. Man, what uh, where do I need to be contrarian? Yeah, and where you know, not for contrarian sake, but just um, man, as a leader of my church or my organization or my family, uh, where have I always gone along with conventional wisdom, and where do I need to um, kind of diverge? And then the second is, uh, I think maybe as much as anything. Um, it's a conversation about courage yeah. and it's a conversation of just saying um, it might not be popular and uh, it, people may not uh, agree, but I think in this moment, this is the right move. And it was a way to kind of model that. So yeah. that, that's what was in my head. And I remember maybe the first five years that I was here on staff, there would be different problems that we'd hear about as the church, either at the ministry level or even at the, the church level. And I remember in my mind, I'm doing what all leaders do. You're trying to think of, oh, well, this is the solution. This right. is obviously the solution. And over the first five years of being on staff, how many times we did the exact opposite of the way I would have solved the problem, which was very humbling and growing. And, uh, and it was just great. And so I, I agree with you. I think this is one aspect of, of leadership that doesn't get talked about a lot, but is really important. So listen to this conversation and then John and I will be back with some closing comments. Here's the idea. Uh, I came on uh, staff at Watermark at O2 it was around in 1999. So Pam and I walked in week seven of Watermark. Okay, so I'm in seminary and learning how to be a professional Christian, reading lots of books, sitting in lots of classes. And um, I would find myself often at the table, you know, a meal, a cup of coffee with Todd, and a topic would come out and Todd would just take this wild left-hand turn and, uh, and answer like the exact opposite, literally, of what the book I had just read, you know, uh, for, for class. Like, Todd, I read a book on this, and you said to do exactly the opposite. And uh, I'd, I'd been around him uh, longer and longer and longer, and I just go, man, that, that's like good. That's like helpful. And so that's what, uh, that's what I want to do here during this session. And the title of it is just Contrarian Leadership. Okay? And, it, and Todd is never contrarian just to be contrarian. Um, but a it lot of times, it's just it's like from the womb. And, uh, and so uh, what I wanted to do was just kind of toss Todd some questions that I've heard him uh, answer, just some uh, different takes, uh, which I think would give you some good things to talk about uh, at dinner tonight. And how would we answer that? How do we feel about that? Uh, so fair enough? Yeah, it is. And a couple of things I want to say. I am more nervous about this session no kidding. than I am anything else we do just because these are precious times. And uh, Q&As can go really well or they can be like, okay, you know, let's, when do the fajitas come out? And, um, and I'm just a little bit, you know, I just told John, I said, look, you know, one of the things he did, we didn't prep for this at all. Or he said, I'm going to just ask you questions and things I've heard you say over the years or topics that I think would be helpful. And I want to cover as many as possible. I did say and I that. Go, what I don't want to do is just throw a bunch of roundhouses and just make comments that people are like, wait, 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 you know? Yeah. And so 
let me say this. What they've asked me to try and do when I answer is not scratch the itch, but almost create an itch, okay? And what you need to do with anything that you hear in here is hopefully maybe a few of these will put a pebble in your shoe to use uh, Greg Kokel's language that are going to make you want to stop and just deal with it. You might decide that the Spirit of God, we, we have an empty chair for him here. Um, he's always invited. He's always invited at our table. Um, that's really not why it's there. We, we may bring up some other guys on staff. I told him, sit close. I might just bring you up and go, you talk about You this. wonder where JP got his uh, desire for flexibility yes. from. Yes. So I, I would just say this. I, I, the, the goal here is not to be exhaustive on these answers. It's maybe just to get you talking as a team or to have it, make a note that you're going to go back. And go, I'm going to wrestle with that and see if what we just heard is true, right? I'm going to tell you, that is your charge Every time I, 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 I do you, was it last year at our, our conference when we, uh, I flipped over that little deal I used one time when I was teaching through second Peter and it was the, uh, you know, the divine surgeon general's warning where I just said, Hey, listen, man, if you ingest bad teaching, it's going to be dangerous to your health, possibly even eternally fatal. And so let me just say this as we go in Acts 17, 11, uh, it says the Bereans were more noble minded than the folks in Thessalonica where they basically listened to Paul and they sorted through the scriptures. They tested or they looked at the scripture to see if the things he said were so. So please do that, okay? But I hope they're conversation starters that might lead you down a road that would be helpful. We're not gonna try and scratch your itch. We're gonna try and throw a little itch at you, all right? That's, that's the goal. So throwing, that is a throwing poison ivy. Let's go. All right, here we go. So Todd, one of the things I heard you talk about this year was, um, what, and I was taught this in seminary, like a senior pastor cannot confide uh, in his staff or in his elders. Like that was taught to me. You've got a different take on that. Well, I do. I mean, I think I do think that's crazy. Okay. So what I would say is the verse that comes to my mind is um, Proverbs 18.1, which says, you know, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. And um, anytime one person on staff or anybody, I don't care what their position is, just says, I can't relate to the community, the provision that God gave me around me. Uh, I'm not going to trust you with my heart and my life. First of all, wherever you are on the team, especially in, in the way you framed it, which is with a senior leader with his other senior leaders. That's what elders are. Elders are not a board. We don't have an elder board at Watermark, and you shouldn't either at your church. There's no such thing in the scripture as an elder board. There is an elder team. There is a team, a, a plurality of senior leadership. That there is mutual submission. That's the mark, by the way, of the Spirit, okay? Ephesians 5, 18, don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes and it gives you three specific things that evidence that you're filled with the Spirit, okay? In a crazy way that's completely unmerited by Scripture, some people go evidence that you're filled with the Spirit is that you speak in ecstatic tongue, okay? There's just no support for that in the Scripture. Even the tongue that was uh, there in Scripture is always a dialectos, a known language, okay? Uh, or a glossa, it's a tongue where there was a known language spoken, but let's not create that bag of worms. I hope that's not just a pebble in your shoe. I hope it's truth you trip over, okay? But, but, but let me just say this, okay? The mark of being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, is that you uh, give praises to God. In other words, not that you speak in a tongue you don't understand, is that you control the tongue you have. That's the mark of a Spirit-filled person. Secondly, um, so you're subject to one, well, it starts with saying that, that um, 
that you uh, speak to God and one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that your heart is overflowed with thanksgiving, and that you are subject to one another in love. And then it goes to how a husband treats a wife and a wife treats a husband. But when it's talking about how the church relates to each other, you're subject to one another in love. Why would you as a pastor call your body to trust men with you, uh, you know, with their spiritual life and with their burdens and with their, their spiritual future if you yourself won't trust them? And I'm gonna tell you something. People, the, the idea that you gotta go somewhere outside your church to find somebody you can be honest with, there is just no merit for that in scripture. What I would say is you need to find another church if that's what your pastor is doing, all right? Because he is not on a team, he's isolating himself, and the reason he's doing it is because he's seeking, the scripture says, his own desire. Well, it's a good thing I didn't give you the ahead of time because you would have had a lot to say on that topic. So <laughs> that's good. I'm glad we're just, you know, just a few things off the top of your head. Um, <coughs> pray for me. Uh, so the prevailing wisdom is that when a church thinks about attracting people, reaching people, that really the only, the only demographic, the only group they should think about is non-believers. You've got a different take on that. Well, yeah. I mean, here's why. Uh, I, I think, you know, I guess we, we, I've said it this way, that the goal of Watermark is to reach the unchurched, which would be, um, depending on how you define it, right? Some people, I think Barna defines that, who's the great American evangelical pollster, I guess. I mean, that's kind of who we quote as much as Gallup used to be quoted. He, he defines unchurched as anybody that hasn't been to a house of worship in the last six months, except for something maybe other than a wedding or a funeral. That doesn't count. So anybody who's outside of six months, he would call those people unchurched. I would say unchurched is just the classic person that really, really grew up in a non-believing home that at best was a Christmas and Easter, you know, cultural attender, but really never grew up in a home with any kind of spiritual formation. That's an unchurched person. I would call what Barnett calls an unchurched person a de-churched person, maybe somebody who did grow up in a home and then eventually uh, stopped going because they saw it as irrelevant or even offensive and not any kind of testimony to God. I was, I was in that category. Uh, I was drugged to church, by and large, as long as my dad could do it. And then, you know, as soon as I got any kind of flexibility, I was like, I'm not wasting my time. You know, you're still bigger than me, but I'm now faster than you, so I'm not going. Um, and so, uh, so there's unchurched, de-churched, and I would call dead church, people that are in a church that doesn't call people to what I would call historical biblical Christianity. And I, I, I hope people come to Watermark that are in churches Right now, okay, you're not swapping sheep. Some people will call this, you know, your church group, but you're just stealing sheep from another place. Well, look, if a people aren't being shepherded, you're not stealing sheep. You're rescuing people who don't have a shepherd. That's good. good. Okay? And so churches, you didn't go and actually, you know, we, we don't send our folks outside of dead churches in our community and hand out invitations to watermarks. But, but what I would say, it's not a bad idea, actually. If you, if you try it, let us know. But... But what, but what you do want to do is you just tell people all the time, say, listen, if, if somebody who is not called to be everything that Jesus calls them to be, all of a sudden gets around a community of genuine believers and becomes active in their faith and understands what it means to be a follower of Christ because they're running with your community, I would count that as a conversion, okay? Now, we don't count conversions around here, okay? But churches should make disciples. And so if a non-disciple comes to your church, I don't care where they've been for the last six months or six years. Glory to God, okay? And by the way, I, we tell folks at Watermark all the time, listen, if there's a place that you can grow and mature more, go. And tell us where it is so we can send others with you. 
Because the goal is not to get people to come to Watermark. Do you have anybody in mind specifically that you wanted to send uh, with him? Yeah, yeah. The goal is to get people to walk with Jesus. Yeah. So churches should go after anybody that doesn't understand the fullness of life that Christ intends, whether they're unchurched, dechurched, dead church, or unmoved yeah. at another place. And, and by the way, I think every Sunday we've got folks at Watermark. Let me say this: at Watermark. You know, every church, even churches aren't calling people something. There is a, there's almost always a remnant of somebody who's getting after it. But by and large, because the leadership doesn't call them to, they're, they're cutting that classic deal, yeah. right? Um, you show up, give me enough money to keep the light on, validate me, I won't ask too much from you, that deal. Um, you know, there's going to be pockets of health even in those churches. At Watermark, we've got pockets of real dishealth. Okay? But the culture here, the stream, is moving towards full devotion. That's normal here. Because that's what leadership talks about. That's what's modeled, you know, thick to thin. Now, there's still going to be some folks here. And so we're trying to call every week unmoved people here. One of the things we say a lot, right, is if you're here at Watermark and you're not in a community group where you're practicing the one of the scripture, if you haven't discovered your spiritual gift and developing it and deploying it for God's glory, if you're not devoting yourself daily to God's word, but you regularly attend here, you're not a regular attender. You're an irregular believer, and you, and you may not know the Lord. And so I love you. I mean, I mean you know, you're, you're, you're going to go to heaven not because you, you look like you're saved to me. You're going to go to heaven because you've crossed this line of faith that the Holy Spirit says. But Jesus says that I'm going to know a tree by its fruits. And so if I don't see any fruit in your life, don't ask me to give you assurance yeah. because I, I can't. Again, I'm not going to tell you you are or aren't. I'm just going to say I'm, I, I know what Jesus says. And so you ought to go after anybody that's not bearing fruit for the glory of God and if them interacting with you in your church and your community can help them experience more of the glory of God, go for it. Not just if they don't attend somewhere. It's good. Are they tending to God's business? It's good. Okay. So again, the, the goal of this uh, session is not to let Todd impress you. Like, wow, look at the, look at the way on his feet he can answer these questions. That's not what's going on here. Okay. You've got two things already uh, to begin to talk about tonight at dinner. Right? Would we trust our senior leaders with with our deepest darkest stuff? If not, why not? Why are they senior why, leaders? Why, okay, so that's a great, that's a great, great conversation, right? Um, and then this one here, like, how do we feel about uh, people who aren't believers who would come to our church and be converted in a different way? Okay, that's that's the goal of this. We're not trying to uh, blow your mind with uh, with Todd's uh, incredible walk through the scriptures uh, for every every answer. Uh, we're trying to give you something uh, to talk about. Okay, and just hey, on that first one though, John. You don't have to tell your senior leaders every dark trouble in your life. The question was specifically, what about pastors who say yep. they can't trust their senior yeah. leaders? Should they trust them? Right. Yeah. So, so most of the folks in our body, I'll never know what they're struggling with because the body of Christ is around them. But this idea that you've got to go outside the church, it gets to this whole thing, please ask me a question about counselors. And, and um, you know. If I had time, I just might. Um. Okay. All right. But I, you know, and so I, I just, you know. I mean, I mean I, I would, all I would say to you in the midst of this is that if you've got to go outside of your community of faith to be authentic, then you don't have a community of faith. Yeah, it's good. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's uh, change Or you gears. don't have faith in your community. Okay, great. <laughs> that was like, tweet that, right? They're good. Okay, uh, let's, talk, let's talk money. Uh, debt and fundraising, okay? So uh, prevailing wisdom, if you go do a Google search, how, do you, how does the church raise money? All those kind of things, okay? It kind of goes like this. Um, you need uh, a moderate amount of debt is actually pretty helpful. It, it keeps a ministry from slowing down, 
right? Um, because if you have to wait till the money's in the bank, then the ministry will slow down and you'll miss kind of this, this missed opportunity cost. So you get a big compelling vision, you get some, uh, a firm that knows kind of all the science behind that, and you develop a plan, go target high capacity donors, yada, yada, yada. You got a different take on that. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, we don't ever think about in terms of raising money. All right. What we're trying to do is raise people's devotion to God. And then what we try and do around here is we give people a compelling vision for the fact that God is working here in our midst. And then we look at them and we just say, listen, we see God working in our midst. One of the things that we do as leaders, the job of a leader, among other things, is to see the future, right? To look ahead and realize what's coming and to prepare ourselves for it so we don't kind of get there and stall out. Hey, this kind of was Israel's point with like Moses. How, how long you lived here, bro? Didn't you know there was a sea you know, up here? It would have been nice if you looked ahead and, and, um, before we kind of stalled out with the most powerful nation on earth who's angry coming after us. But in Moses' case, Moses did look ahead. And his case was, I'm going to go everywhere God tells me to go and do everything God to- tells me to do. And so, you know, but, what, but sometimes we're not sure what God tells us to do right? We don't know, does God want us to build or does God not want us to build? But what you can do as a leader is say, hey, listen, one of the things we see, um, you know, we use sometimes around here kind of a red light, green light, yellow light um, scenario, which is, hey, what's working really well? What's got kind of like green? Where's God showing up and God moving and let's throw more resource and attention to that? Um, what are some concerns we have about some things that are going on here? And maybe if we address it, it could turn into a green area. And, and where are there some, some hindrances, some things that that aren't just working well? Is it a leadership issue? Is it a resource issue? Is it a, a, a vision, a philosophy issue? And so you want to address that. So one of the things that we ran into early on as we started to, um, you know, God started to add to our number day by day, those who were being saved, is we go, we're consistently having a hard time finding a place to gather with individuals. And so what we did is we just told our body, listen, this is a consistent hindrance. This is, a, this is stopping us from doing what we think God would have us do. Now, there's lots of ways to solve this problem, but one place, that we, one way we could solve it is to have a place that we could gather. So that's going to take some resource. And so in the earliest days, John, what we did is we just told people, we don't even have a place right now we'd buy. We're using stuff to rent more in the middle, middle of the week because the houses are no longer sufficient for some of our gathering, discipleship, and community events. So we gave people an opportunity to invest in God's kingdom. That's what we called it. And, and we, didn't, we didn't say we're going to start to... Um, you know, we're going to buy a piece of land because we think in the future we're going to, we're going to use it to build on. What we, what we just simply said is, hey, we're not going to obligate you through debt, right, with, with this kind of comment. Hey, right now, you know, let's just say our budget's $1,000 a year. And boy, $300 of it every year is just going to service debt. I'm using intentionally small numbers, right? So 30% of our budget services debt every year. So you're gosh. doing ministry out of a TP. Yeah. Okay, got yeah. So, so if, you, if you could give us just $300 this year, you know, we have, we have 30% more to give to missional causes. Sometimes pastors use that kind of thinking to incentivize their people. They obligate them and burden them with debt. Now, this is what the Bible says. The Bible does not um, say debt's a sin. The Bible warns against debt. It says the borrower is the lender's slave. Right? Jesus' whole purpose in coming was to break us free from bondage and slavery. So I'd be really careful before I put myself in bondage to somebody else. Okay? Now... What we tried to do is we just tried to share a vision with people. We didn't try and raise money. We just said, hey, we believe together God's at work here. We see opportunity here. Do you see it? Because God's given you resources already. Far be it from us. We think and we thought in our body there was enough resource that God had given our body to do the things we thought we needed to do. 
Okay, God's already given it to us. The question is, do we collectively, the church of Jesus Christ, do we believe we should move the money that God's given us, that we're stewards of, to this thing that we believe will glorify God? Okay, I'm not gonna obligate you with debt as a leader just because I can, I can do that as a, um, a, a person who is an officer of an organization. I'm gonna trust you, okay? Why would you wanna build a place to glorify God with people who aren't interested in the glory of God? So we trust them. And we just said, look, the Lord's giving you guys money. This is what we think is hindering us doing something. Do you guys want to move the Lord's money over here? And we don't bring in a fundraiser that they don't have a relationship with to tweak him. I had a guy tell me this, Todd, if you're going to do that, because, I mean, should we tell him a story, John? You tell me if you want to use this time. With, when we, we, we got three questions, which is probably one more than I thought we were going to okay. get, so you're doing great. But, but, I mean, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story because this is a Red Sea moment for our church, and so I'm going to try and That's do great. this in three minutes. Um, we, it was 2003, our church had grown to about, um, 900 giving units and, uh, we were leasing all over town and, um, you know, doing it on a, 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 a almost a week to week, month to month basis. And we thought, Hey, we believe that one day it might make sense for us to have property. We didn't rush to a property that would define the ministry just so we had a property. We said, it looks like what God's doing here. We want to give ourselves some opportunity to grow, but we don't feel like we need to grow beyond this. We'll push people out and start at the campuses or other churches. It doesn't really matter. But we got to a place where we looked at about, there was about 20 different properties that we actually sent this real estate team to, to look at and scout. And um, we never made a single offer on any one of them. There was five we really looked at. This one then, they came back and they said, Todd, this one looks like it might make some sense. And so they did all the due diligence. We got a 120 day free look at this property, where in a sense we tied it up. It took us 90 days to do the in, the, uh, the work on ingress and egress and make sure the zoning was correct and things of that sort. And then it was September of 2003, and we went to our body. Over the last three years that we had been around, we had told the body, someday we think we might use facility. If not, we're going to need to keep leasing it. So at the end of the year, people who saw that need for facilities had given above and beyond the end of the year. We had about, I think we had $2.1 million sitting there for resource rental or potentially maybe purchase. This property that we're on, it's 12 acres and it included that 10-story office tower and a blank, you know, if you guys even have a picture of it, then I think you can maybe find it, of what this property looked like in 2003, cost, um, I think, $8.3 million. And so we had 30 days to come up with $5 million. And we just said, hey, look, in our case, we as spiritual leaders of this community felt like there was already $5 million sitting out there in our holding as 890 some odd giving units. We just believed that was true. We didn't have any idea who, you know, any one specific person in mind. We just said, I, I think that resource is here. And we just said, do you guys want to do this? And we've got 30 days to figure it out. And so we're just going to do this. We're going to tell you today why we think that might be a good piece of property. We're going to ask you to pray. And if you believe that we should get this piece of property, then we're asking you to give everything you can towards that $5 million need in the next three weeks. Not a pledge that you'll give this much every week because people ask us, can we pledge that we'll give money? I'm going, no. I mean, you can, just don't tell me. I mean, just do what God tells you to do. We need the resource now or we'll let the property go away. And in fact, that's when I, I, I said to the other guys, here's what we ought to do. We ought to tell the people that we're asking them to pray about this specific piece of property. And so what I, I, why don't we get two envelopes? We'll have them write on one envelope a number that just basically describes how much um, they are able to give. And that's all that's on the outside of that envelope. It's just a number. 
and then inside it, actually write the check and address another envelope inside of it to themselves. And what we'll do after three weeks is the guys that look at this, I never looked at any of the envelopes, the, the guys that took care of the resources here, they were gonna go through and look at each of those envelopes and add up the numbers on the outside. And if the numbers came up to $5.2 million, okay, then what they were gonna do is rip that perforated section off, all right, and dump the inside envelope out and, and then make sure it wasn't some just high school kid jacking around with us like, yeah, I'm good for three mil, right? Um, <laughs> But, but, but what happened was, if the number was less, we told them this, if the number's less than 5.2 million, we're gonna rip off all those perforated sections, we're gonna dump all the envelopes out into another pile, not know whose name, what, with what number, and we're gonna run them through the meter, and we're gonna mail the money back to you. Because we're asking you to pray, does God want us to do this collectively as a body right now? And we're not looking to store up a bunch of money. So we got three weeks to give what God wants us to give. If we don't have enough, we're not gonna use it for this, the property will go away, and God will take care of it in the future. We could have gotten easily $5 million in a loan. A lot of people can't be, you're crazy. And secondly, Todd, you're gonna embarrass yourself. If you, don't, if you don't know who the people are they're gonna give that, you better go to them, you better take them to lunch, you better tell them you need this many guys to give a million, this many guys to give half a million, this many guys to give 100,000, and this many guys to give $10,000. And you better know. And I just said, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna let the Spirit of God tell them. I'm gonna tell you one little thing that I, I share with our body. There was a guy that got saved in our body at the time that just because you're not asleep, you know that that guy is resourced. All right, imagine like a Rockefeller went to your church. That, there was a guy like a Rockefeller that got saved in the first three years. And um, actually what happened is, after this happened, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what, somebody, what some of the fundraising companies in the city did. But um, I, we told people, listen, if you want to meet with us and ask any questions, we'll be here at 7 in the morning, we'll be here at 6 at night, we give them four different times. If you've got some other issue, call us. And so we met with members of our body who had questions about things collectively. I never called a person individually. I never did any of that. I just shared the first Sunday and prayed and answered questions in group meetings, okay? I got one letter over that three-week period. And that letter was from the Rockefeller. And it was sent to my house. And he said, Todd, I want you to know that my wife and I have prayed about what the Lord wants us to do concerning this particular opportunity. And I'm going I'm to be honest with you. I'm not an idiot. And I thought, hey, that's crazy that we could get $5 million in three weeks. But Lord, I know that guy could get $5 million in five minutes. The Lord had this guy, as he saw his face, the Lord had that guy write me a letter. He didn't call me. He wrote me a letter. And he said, Todd, my wife and I have prayed. And I don't know what to tell you, but we are not supposed to participate in the purchase of this property. And I just wanted you to know we did what you asked. I didn't tell anybody I got that letter. I didn't tell my other elders because that letter was addressed to me personally. I felt like God was doing something to show me, I want you to watch this. Because I don't know who gave, but he wanted me to know who didn't give. God did. And after three weeks, okay, the guys that got that, they, they uh, let us know that in that three weeks, and we got the body together, and uh, it turns out in that three weeks that what was given was, I think, um, it was about $8.8 million in three weeks in, in cash, in stocks, and in kind, which gave us enough to purchase the property, design um, the campus build out, and redo the office tower where we could begin to meet midweek, 
and put our offices in where we met for four years, all our midweek stuff, still the rent weekend things. But here's the point. The body was so encouraged that we trusted them to hear from Christ. And they weren't manipulated by a fundraising campaign. And they weren't approached by a pastor who brokered his personal influence with people of means. And they just said, you're asking us to listen to our father who gave us this resources to steward. You're not gonna obligate us with debt. I had bankers saying, do you guys want money? And listen, here's what's so funny is, is all around town, some of the companies that, that God uses to help churches put those funds together, I, I guess. They, they said, well, you know how Watermark did that. First of all, they had somebody backstop it. They told them, someone told them, hey, whatever you need, we'll fill that in. We did not have that arranged with anybody. And they said, and you know, they got a Rockefeller at their church, right? Well, what they never knew is the Rockefellers didn't participate. And I didn't feel like it was my business to tell him, but let me just tell you what that does. When you bring in a fundraiser to, to give your people a pitch or when you approach people and say, I need you to do this, look, man, I, I don't want people to do anything other than follow the Spirit of God. And I want to tell you, I'm trusting them. The reason I don't think you should use debt to get a building, by and large, um, for your people is if your people aren't going to move the resources that God's already given them, to that which can make disciples, why would you build non-disciples a place where they can be non-disciples? Now, some of you are in a situation, I believe, that the Lord would tell you, we don't have the means. We, we believe, we know our sheep, and our sheep don't have a million dollars, right? Like in Fort Worth, one of our campuses. You know, um, they don't have the means right now to buy property and build a building over there. And so we're not going to put them through that same deal. We're, we're going to, the rest of the body of Christ is coming around them to help them have a place to meet over there. And we're not obligating them with that. And we're not telling them, don't you love Jesus? Give more money. Because it's by and large a 20, 30 something church. And we don't think that they just got probably in the next three weeks. We didn't have any sense. They had about $5 million to buy the property and redo the building. And so we didn't do the same thing. And, and so all I'm just sharing with you is don't just default so we can get this done with debt. Okay, what you want to make sure you do is you don't move your body anywhere towards that which is bondage without being absolutely convinced it's for the glory of God. And so, and so on this deal, which is, I've never just, me personally, some pastors believe it's their job to know who gives what. I don't. I've never looked one time. I don't know anybody who's ever given a cent to Watermark except those that I'm in community with who know what I give to Watermark, who help me deal with my love of mammon and I help them deal with their love of mammon and be good resources with that which God has given me. And so my community, we, we talk about, hey, man, what, what's got a hold of your heart? And one of the things that Jesus talks about a lot that gets hold of our hearts is money. And so we help each other and just go, this is what I've got. This is what I think we should save. This is what I think we should invest. This is what we're giving. And we talk about that. And, and so at different times, we've done that. But uh, the answer to that question, John, for me is don't target. Don't, don't fall lie to human strategies. Trust your people. Give them a compelling vision. If the people at the church don't have a belief that God wants them to do something, why would you build them something to do something? Deal with that. Don't put them in bondage to your dreams. Don't have it. if we build it, they will come mentality. Build the church and let them give to the building. Good. Very good. Very good. That was a really helpful three minutes, brother. That was great. Um, so from my vantage point through that, man, <laughs> we would have missed out had we run one of those, you know, orgs through there. And again, there, there might be a place that's for you to decide. Um, 
but we gathered back together, you know, and we didn't know if we had the money or not. And uh, we sang, blessed uh, be your name. He gives and takes away. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were going we to trust God. We were going to uh, pray our guts out, give what we could. It, and we, we didn't care about the results. Our, our desire was to be faithful. Hey, let me cl- let me cl- close the story, and then I'm going to let you do this. I'll play I'll play the hot I'll round with you. I'll answer the next questions in one minute. But, but, but let me I know you did good. I was close. But, but listen, I want to be fair because we're kind of cracking this egg. Listen okay. to this. After after that money came in, that was about ten million dollars that we had to store it. A total of ten million dollars. Okay. After that, we we said, I mean, just you know, you guys can look around. I mean, we we have been building different parts of this campus ever since then. We've never used debt. But what we told our people after this is having got this, we all believe that we would eventually build on it. So from that moment on, people have given. What we always said is we're not going to start something we can't finish and we're not going to build something we can't use. But after that one event, then people have been continually moving resource to an opportunity for us to build. We've never had a penny of debt. Okay? And I say that because people have looked at this, and they kind of go, well, did you keep doing the envelope thing? I go, no, we didn't play that. It wasn't a game we played. After that, it was just like, as God gives us money, and we believe that we can continue to use this campus in specific ways, we've moved money and resources that direction. So the, the envelope thing, we've only done one time, okay? Because it isn't a trick to motivate people. We'll send it back. After that, we're like, hey, we'll do that, but guess what? Sometimes there was four or five million dollars sitting there, and we didn't feel like there was anything we could do with that money to build something we could use and so we just waited. We said, guys, this is what we need. We never put a thermometer up. We just gave them regular updates, and we were fervent in prayer. So that's the end of that. I'll answer the next great, questions great. in a minute. Go, fire. <laughs> uh, a lot of these guys are thinking change management. Prevailing wisdom, they do a Google search. Change management, church. I guarantee you the metaphor that will come up is that of an aircraft carrier. You can't, it's a big legacy organization. It can't turn quickly. you got a different take. I'll give you a quick different take. And here, One of the things that we're going to do at the end of this session is my friends have encouraged me to put some of this stuff down, not really about this contrarian leadership, but about some of how we believe God wants the local church to look. And uh, I do, and so I, I finally did that. And, and when you walk out of this room today, all right, we're gonna give you a book if you'll read it. Okay, I mean, these are not free. I have to pay for them. And, um, and so we wanna give you a copy of the book and, and take it if you'll read it. And then if you want your teams to read it, then you, you, know, you can add copies on your own. But we want to give each of you a book. And there is a story in there. I got so sick of people telling me, well, Todd, it's great. You're just a young little church. and You can do what you want because you're kind of starting and all this different stuff. But we've been around for 100 years, and we're like an aircraft carrier. You know how long it takes to turn an aircraft carrier? And I go, I got so sick of hearing that. I called a friend of mine who was a commander in the Navy. And I go, I need to know how long it takes to turn a stinking aircraft carrier. Because everybody's acting like you got to sail the thing from California all the way to Hawaii, buy 50 cranes, turn the sucker around, and then sail it back, which I think would probably take, you know, over a year, right? Well, it turns out the response is hilarious, and it's in the book. It's answered like a Navy man. But bottom line, he just goes, well, Todd, what are the wind variables, and what kind of conditions is it? Max? I go, how long does it take, bro? <laughs> Let me just tell you, at war in violent seas, 15 minutes. Five minutes. If the, if the planes are below deck. But let me tell you what has to happen. Everybody in the captain's bridge has got to be committed to turning the aircraft carrier. The reason most churches don't turn is not because they've been around 100 years. It's because the guys leading it want to do the same thing for the next 100. Okay? And so it can turn. 
And you just got to be committed to the turn and get everybody on the captain's bridge. And it's nice to notify the sailors playing Foursquare on the deck, we're turning, all right? <laughs> but, but move to the middle because we're turning, all right? And, and so you tell them why and you say, trust us. We're doing it because our, we believe this is what the commander wants us to do. Awesome. Um, I want to talk about abortion for a second. Um, I think prevailing wisdom would be uh, you stand up here on a Sunday morning. If you want to make a difference in the community, you stand up here in the mor- in, on a Sunday morning and you kind of yell about um, the destruction uh, of abortion and you tell everybody, hey, guys, go call your uh, congressional reps, your senators, letter campaign. Uh, we, want to, uh, we want to end abortion. And um, I, I'm so encouraged by yeah, your contrarian take on that or different take on that and what you... Uh, uh, what you feel like we should be doing in this next season. You want to talk about that? First of all, um, the guys and, and you and others who know me well know that God's put in my heart this big idea called the Life Center, which, which I continue to work on while the Lord hasn't called me away from what I'm doing to, to begin to build and put together something that um, there's a message actually last November uh, that if you can look up what that message was, the title of it, so they can search it if they want to listen to it, because the video for the Life Center is in there. Put it up there, guys. But, yeah. yeah. But, but um, I think it's what God wants your next yes to be, I think, yeah. is the title of it. And, and what, I, what I would just basically tell you is that, first of all, I know that in my generation, everybody looks back and goes, if I was alive during the slave trade, I'd have been a William Wilberforce. I'd have stood up to my country, even though the whole country's economic system existed because of the slave trade. I, I would have stood up against that. I'd have been a John Newton, right? Once John Newton got saved, um, I'd have been a Lincoln, maybe if you want to put him in that camp. Um, or they look at the Nazi Holocaust. I'd, I'd have been Corey Ten Boom. You know, I'd have been Martin Niemöller. I'd have been Schindler. And I would just go, well, there's something happened in our day and age that is even a greater tragedy than either one of those. I mean, it really is. I mean, you're killing people, not just putting them in bondage, where they can break out, maybe. Uh, you were killing people. And so we've got to do something. But I, what I think one of the things I say that surprised you the first time you heard this, my goal is not to see Roe v. Wade turned over. And here's the reason why. I, 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 listen, you can tell the, um, the heart of a people by the way that it makes laws to treat those that are the most vulnerable. I think it would be wonderful if we said you should protect human life in the womb. But my concern is not that we do that because let me tell you, my entire reproductive life, I was born in 1963, and, and so, you know, Roe v. Wade, I mean, abortion has been a viable form of birth control my entire reproductive life. Mm-hmm. I have never, by the grace of God, been a part of a, a, an abortion decision for one reason, Jesus Christ, okay? Um, and so, like it says in 1 Timothy, the reason there are laws, it's not for the righteous, it's for the wicked. What, what I believe we should do is, uh, you know, we, we want to make the, the idea of abortion untenable, which happens when people understand the kindness of God and the goodness of his way and the blessing of his way. And so there is no more powerful force in the world than the church, which can help people see the beauty of God and his design. And so it can be permissible to do whatever you want, but you're not going to do it because you know what the right thing is to do. Now, that being said, if you got a land of people who would never think to have an abortion, they'd probably also say, and we're going to say you can't have an abortion. And by the way, we're going to care for those of you that don't want your baby. Okay, and so this is the thing that I I said while I'm working on this life center idea. What I said is, church, here's the thing. One of the things you always hear people say, you care a lot about the child in the womb. What are you going to do about all the children out? Right. And I think that's a fair question. Mm -hmm. 
And so one of the things that I do want to do, like right now, we know that in Dallas County, the, the, the county that we're in, 50% of children that are put in foster care, kids that are in home that are state, which has a fairly low bar, or, you know, for, um, you know, that saying that home is no longer fit for a child. The idea is that those kids will be placed in other homes in the county that they're removed from. Well, 50% of the kids in Dallas County that go to foster homes are not placed in Dallas County. They're, they're fired way out because nobody in Dallas County wants them. And when we discovered that here, we just go, what are we doing? Jesus says pure and undefiled religion is a care for the widow and the orphan. And, and so we are right now, Watermark is, is radically pursuing the idea that there would be more families that have been vetted by our, our child foster care, child services system, waiting for foster kids to come than there would be kids waiting for foster families. Okay, I go, we can knock this out. There's 1,500 kids roughly that, that the state has said you can't live in your home. And, and I, we've challenged our church. We're gonna wipe that out. We're gonna say, if there's a kid whose home isn't safe, we'll take them. And by the way, this is the other thing. And we want our, 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 our CPS services, when they go into a home and say, your child is no longer gonna stay in your home, and we want the next words out of the mouth to be this. And by the way, if you wanna get your kid back, get yourself over to Watermark because they don't want to take your kids. They, they, wanna, do, they wanna help you. They've got recovery ministries. They've got relational recovery ministries. They will love you and they will put your life by the grace of God back in order so that your kids can come back into your home. But while your home isn't safe, they're gonna love your kid and their goal is to reform families, not take your kid, all right? And so that, that's what we're in the middle of, okay? And, and we, 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 we didn't just say that, we institutionalized it. I mean, we hired a guy, Bruce Kendrick, who's, who's leading that charge on that. We're, we constantly have that before our body going, let's go church. Let's be the church that loves kids in broken situations and not just talk about kids that are being, you know, having been ripped out of a womb. We'll continue to talk about that, but let's love the children that are here even while we try and protect the children that aren't yet. And so, so the contrarian piece, I think, was the Roe v. Wade thing where I'm saying, and our goal isn't to overturn some political deal, right? Because even when there was, when abortion was illegal, abortions were happening in the country. And I will tell you that we have, I, I think, John, we've been told the largest abortion re recovery ministry in the country. Probably, here. probably. More women have dealt with their abortion decision. It's a ministry called Someone Cares. If we can introduce it to you, we'd love to share it with you. We have a ministry to dads that were part of an abortion decision called Forgotten Fathers. Okay, we're ministering to them. We, we have said anybody, we, we've said it on tape, we've said it everywhere we could. If you've got a kid you don't want and you're pregnant, we'll take the child. We will take your child. We'll place them in a home, in a loving home, and we'll help you. And so we're trying to cover this from a holistic way and not just make some political statement. So if you've made that decision, God loves you. We wanna bring healing. If you're in a crisis, we wanna help you. And if your home is dysfunctional, we'll hold your kids, love them, and care for them, and we'll help you get them back. So if you want something to pray about, uh, you can pray about our efforts to love uh, the city in which we've been called. And uh, we want to seek its peace and prosperity uh, here. And as I know, you, you want to in your place too. And so uh, you can pray for us. We'll share what we uh, are learning around that. I hope we uh, kind of have a success story uh, to tell and uh, that other churches around the country. And I, I've met someone in, Can in uh, uh, England uh, last week who is tracking and really excited about uh, what we're doing. I think that could be kind of a, uh, the way the church is known in the future. And so it's no, uh, it's no small thing. Um, We'd love you to be that in your community. Make that your goal, Houston, Kansas City. Yeah, Challenge absolutely. your church to be the church that wipes out the foster care waiting system. And just say, we're going we're gonna to do pure and undivided religion. We're going to care for vulnerable living creatures in the womb and out. We're going to bring healing to moms 
who have made an awful decision with a child in the womb and healing to moms and dads who are not making good decisions to cause the prosperity of those children out. What else would we do if we're God's church? Love it. Okay. So guys, um, point in all this, be like a Bereans. Okay. Uh, don't take your cues just from your RSS feed and the latest, greatest blog post, right? Or what others down the street are doing. God's not called you to do what those down the street are doing. He's called you to shepherd the flock that you've been given, right? And so you pray and you open the scriptures and you seek counsel and you move sometimes in ways that are contrarian to everyone else, right? Because you have to give an account for you, not what others are doing. And that's, that's what I hope some of this will spur. And you don't be contrarian to be contrarian. Say, go poking other church leaders in the eye. We do it different. We do it better than you. That's not the point. You do what God wants you to do. And sometimes it will be to do something that's different than uh, is being done anywhere else. So anyone, anything else you want to transition us? Yes. Um, you were going to, uh, I think the one question you told me you were going to ask is the one at the very end about what kind of person God uses. Yes. So uh, that is exactly right. Um, so the question was this, uh, I think kind of prevailing wisdom is that uh, you need a beautiful temple uh, to do ministry. Yeah. And, and so you've already heard me talk about this uh, at the beginning. We told you we weren't going to go back there, but here's what happened. When we were talking about the first session and things we could do to try and serve you guys, uh, it, it quickly segued to an illustration. And uh, we thought we'd just share it with you. Uh, the Easter message we used this year um, you know, we knew that Dr. Hawking was sick and we knew that he was uh, an individual that was uh, well known for his views on uh, atheism and how science was the evidence that there was no God and, and, uh, and, and his scientism and all that. And so our Easter message this year kind of kind of um, just opposed Stephen Hawking, this brilliant man with ALS who had a disturbing view of God. And a man who had a disturbing disease like Hawking did, ALS, who had a beautiful view of God, who was a member of our body from the earliest days. And what I want to do just to end this, and this is, we, we, this is where we felt like we should share this with you. We're going to show you the video, one of the things that we did on to illustrate um, a different perspective on God. And I talked about how pain can sometimes make you an atheist and shared a little bit of Hawking's story. I, I, I dealt with his scientism and the brokenness of that. But I also said pain can sometimes make you question if there's a good and loving God. But I also showed you that pain can be a way and brokenness can be a way that you can glorify God. And uh, we're going to share with you, and I think there's a metaphor here for us, right? The very first day, I think, said, you don't need a temple, you need truth. Uh, one of my good friends is Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been in a wheelchair for 50 years. And, and Johnny said this, I thought it was great. She said, when the, when the Iron Curtain finally fell, it won't probably surprise you that what God used to take the gospel into a country that had been under the oppression of atheism and communism for 70 years, the first thing he sent was an old man with Parkinson's disease, Billy Graham, a woman who's a quadriplegic, and a blind Russian interpreter for Billy Graham and for Johnny to bring healing to the nation. Think about that. When God finally brought the gospel back, he used a trembling man, a crippled woman, and a blind interpreter. Because God doesn't need beautiful and strong. He needs truth. You don't need a building, and you don't need to worry that your temple, physically, your body, is glorious to the world's eyes. You have to be six foot five or an ex-Heisman Trophy winner. What you, what you have to be is a person whose temple is filled with truth. 
and you can be useful to God. So be encouraged. Whatever size your church, however shaky your physical temple, fill it with truth. Watch this. I have paraphrased Charles Spurgeon when I've said time and time again that we should not doubt in the dark what we know to be true in the light. I still believe this, but it would be easy to doubt God's goodness as I experience increasing loss of function and paralysis in every voluntary muscle in my body. It gets pretty dark to realize that just two years ago I had a robust lifestyle, but now I am confined to a bed or my power chair. I can't walk, talk or eat, get out of bed, sit up, or stand unassisted. It has produced a level of helplessness that I could never have imagined. Yet my mind is crystal clear, full of thoughts, but they are mostly trapped. Trying to dress myself or roll over in bed is like watching a beached whale. All effort and no progress. In the long dark night when the increasing constraints drive my thoughts to race in panic, I am reminded, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, I will not fear, for God did not give me a spirit of fear, but power, love and self-control. I simply cannot imagine this fight without the wisdom and truth of Jesus. Having experienced this night after night validates the claim for me, and leaves no doubt the Holy Spirit is present and standing a diligent watch over me and my family. Watching prayers answered in the lives of others only goes to confirm God is good. I am often asked how a loving God could allow this disease to corrupt my brain and spinal cord and put my family through this. My Bible says we will all have affliction and challenges in life. Good heavens! I'm not the first person at Watermark to experience chronic and life-claiming illness. A major difference may be that there is no effective treatment and certainly no cure leading to a dismal prognosis. But tribulation produces perseverance, character, and hope, and one of my hopes is that the way I am living this out will be an example of the grace I have received through Christ's obedience to the cross and his resurrection. My illness is a temporary affliction. Jesus promised in John 11 that Lazarus's illness would not result in death. If true for Lazarus, then true for all who claim Christ as the risen Son of God. I am asked if it is important to continue to serve others when going through this trial. Jesus was clear in Mark that he came to serve. I have learned in life there are givers and there are takers. I am made to serve. Even in my depleted form I can still pray for others and listen to a brother talk through an issue with a pointer to scripture for an answer. So although I must monitor and measure my energy, there is no excuse for ignoring the opportunity to serve someone. And I love to watch the deer in the headlights stare I get when I pose the inevitable question, are you praying with your wife every day? Are you leading her well? Or do we need to get her over here? It has been a joy to watch marriages improve when prayer together was a catalyst. It is clear that Christ is the hero. Roddy and I just want to share the good news that Christ was born, he was crucified, he died a horrible death, he is resurrected to live in the hearts of those who claim him as Lord and Savior. Sharing that good news takes my eyes off my afflictions and allows me to focus on the only truly important part of my life, when my mission here is complete, and I lay my body down, I am sure Jesus will pick me up. His love has been sufficient for me and I will understand that even more clearly when I see him. 
Focusing on Christ's achievement on my behalf certainly taps out any loathing and bitterness, and my heart is filled with God's love through the Holy Spirit, for this reason, I am affirmed, I am not a fool. We, what you need to know about D is he's a Navy, he's a Navy man, and he's strong, and he's a leader, he's been leading here with us for years, and then God gave him the gift of ALS. And the strength of God continues to minister through him. And um, we want to remind you that if dependence is the goal, weakness is an advantage. And the less you have, the more room there is for God's glory. So do not be discouraged with your condition. Trust your God. And as we talk to Dee, he said, I'd like to type a prayer for leaders of the church. And so this is his prayer. And he's going to close this session. And then Adam will come up and make that transition. Brother, would you lead us? Our Father and our God, we come to your throne boldly, praising you and giving you the glory for this gathering of strong, committed men and women who lead your church and their communities to Jesus. Thank you for them and thank you for their loving support at home while they are here together in fellowship with your Holy Spirit developing new relationships, learning and being equipped, encouraged, and even inspired with renewed passion to go and make disciples. And thank you for our body watermark that so freely gives its resources to love on our sisters and brothers from around the nation and even from around the globe. Yet Lord, I pray that the impressiveness of watermark is not the measure, rather a fully yielded heart that is transparent so the light of the gospel will radiate through to each person's home community, and can continue to mold it toward Christ-likeness. I pray that the eyes of each person's heart would be enlarged with the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know and trust you more, not only in the most dire situations, but to practice and be in your presence with humility in the best of times. Knowing the grass withers and the flowers fade, I pray that each person here counts their days to make the most of the available time, recognizing our expectations and intimacy in ministry can be cut short. Glorious Father, I pray for each person's purity and walking in a manner worthy of their calling. That any secret sin like pornography, resentment, or anxiety and fear, would be brought to light during the conference and addressed with a Regen team member. Father, I pray for a freedom from performance and a heart that would discipline itself to work purposely on their marriage. I pray that any insecurities will be brought to light and transferred to Christ, and that folks who are struggling in their marriage will have a conversation with a re-engaged staff member. And, Lord, I pray that each man here will earnestly pray with and over his wife every day, and for each married woman here to gently and respectfully lead out until her husband develops the commitment to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Finally, Father, I pray for both gratitude and eternal focus regardless of the forthcoming circumstances. That each person here would avail themselves to be used however you would deem best, and in the midst of that, they would reflect the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his holy name we ask. Amen. Wow. So let me say two things to you. 
I love the statement. We're repeating it a lot around here lately. Number one, we don't pray because we're disciplined. We pray because we're desperate. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can do no more than pray until you have prayed. And D continues to feed this ministry with those kind of prayers for us on a regular basis. And he said, I want to pray for these folks. And there it was. Secondly, I want to tell you something. If you've got something you need to confess, every single believer in this room is part of a regeneration team. Every single person who's been reconciled to God is somebody who can help you re-engage with other relationships. That's who we are. All of us. So Adam, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I'm remembering what you said in the intro that this is really a conversation about courage. And uh, and I would maybe add one more in there that that I hear when I uh, think about that conversation, remember that conversation is just a reminder to be humble. And here's how that impacts me is I like to read, right? I like, that's just, Part of the way I like to learn and grow professionally and uh, get better at my craft is I like to read a lot. And so in reading a lot, I can hear a lot of other people's ideas and start to develop my own ideas of the way to solve problems. And like I mentioned in the beginning, how many times I see us do the opposite of what a book would tell you to do, or maybe what a, uh, I don't know, like a ridiculous podcast would tell you to do. Okay. (laughs) And so what it does for me is it just keeps me humble that I, I really appreciate that aspect of leadership. And when people do something that goes against conventional wisdom, it keeps me humble to go, you know what? There's not, there's not just, it's not black and white. There are multiple ways to solve some of the complex problems we face in life and definitely in the church world. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to have some conversations as a team or uh, with other leaders, it might be a great question to, to ask yourself is, is there anything that we do, uh, any way we operate, any values uh, we have that are contrarian yeah. uh, to kind of the norm? And if not, I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to put this on our listeners, but that could be a problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very uh, good. I I mean, that's a great one. Like, what are we doing that's against the grain? And uh, maybe a book or a podcast would say that's not uh, the right thing to do. That's a great question to have. And and I think the other, if we were just going to put one caution on this, if somebody just got so fired up, just going, that's it, I'm going to do the opposite of everything. We're changing everything. That's not the right application here either. So uh, have some conversations with others about this. Uh, But it is good to ask yourself, where do we, maybe where are we following? too much conventional wisdom and what are some crazy, what would seem to be crazy decisions that courageous. Yeah. yeah, That would be the right thing for our body. If you have any questions or comments on today's episode or topics you'd like for us to consider for future episodes, feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at CLP at watermark.org. Hey, if you liked what you heard today, please rate and review the show that helps people find us. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you again next time. 